Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Objective. Uh, it's my turn to host today. Uh, we're continuing discussing the war in Israel. Uh, I'm just going to uh, start by giving the news update about the war, and then Boaz and I are going to talk a little bit about humanitarian aid for Gaza and bringing fuel in. So in the news in the last 24 hours um, has been the IDF ground incursion into Gaza. It's continuing in the north. It's pushing deeper, and there's a new incursion that's going on in the south. And unfortunately, the death toll for Israeli soldiers has risen to 24 as of this moment, so, which is very unfortunate. We've also seen protests around the world uh, since today, November 4th, is the anniversary of the Iran hostage crisis. Uh, we saw protests or celebrations really taking place in London, Paris, Berlin, and most notably Tehran. Uh, these were state-backed uh, celebrations. Uh, the one in Tehran saw one of the Iranian ministers speaking and blaming America for the death of Palestinian citizens. So something really despicable going on there. And then <clears throat> notably as well is our main topic for today that's been in the news, which is the discussions of sending fuel in as humanitarian aid for hospitals in Gaza. Uh, David Satterfield, the US envoy for the Middle East, has said that there are workable mechanisms by which we could bring fuel into Gaza and that there's no recorded instances of Hamas taking that fuel to aid themselves. And in fact, the head of the IDF even agreed with that. Um, I think we saw a response from Benjamin Netanyahu's office as well, which I think you just mentioned before we went live, Boaz. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, just a few minutes ago, the Israeli Minister of Defense, uh, Gallant, uh, came up to in a press conference and when asked about the question of the fuel entering Gaza, he said that no fuel will enter Gaza. He kept on stating that uh, the terrorists of Hamas have two options, either to die or to surrender. surrender. And uh, this was a very strict and harsh uh, uh, position. And uh, uh, now we have to uh, follow and see if we can deliver it since Israel is under immense pressure that you see on your street in London and other capitals uh, around the world. And uh, from, of course, uh, the elected official of all these states that are fearing for their political future and need to appease the masses. Uh, so uh, right now, uh, I don't know how many uh, of our friends will watch this uh, segment, but uh, this is your time uh, to voice your sound and assist the, the effort that uh, we're doing here in Israel in order to stop Hamas and to eradicate. Uh, and the results of this fight is either this will discourage the force of evil around the world or discourage. So the outcome, it's still to be decided. Yeah, there's actually there's another thing that happened, which actually it relates to what you were saying, that Blinken, the uh, United Nations, um, the US Secretary of State was actually in Amman in Jordan in the last 24 hours at a news conference. Um, where supposedly he was saying that Arab nations have agreed that Hamas, the status quo with Hamas can't continue, but he's also then uh, blaming Israel for extremist actions in the West Bank. So there's further kind of placing blame on Israel that's taking place from the US. But Boaz, I wanted to ask you, what's the situation on the ground like in Israel in terms of 
public sentiment because for humanitarian aid going to Palestine is that is the Israeli public as far as you can see harshly against that or are they sympathetic or how how's it feeling harshly against it mm-hmm. uh, except maybe to a fringe leftist side but this is a minority even the families of kidnapped uh, uh, people by Hamas, Uh, put the posters, no food, no humanitarian, no supply, nothing till we'll get our humanitarian serve, which means releasing all these hostages. And uh, this, is, uh, this has become a theater of absurd that uh, the people that murder, rape, tortured, and kidnap kids and elderly and whatever they could grab, And the wounded uh, calling up to the world to help them because of humanitarian uh, reasons when th- there is no sense of humanitarian uh, non so ever here uh, beside that we I just heard in the news right now that Israel tried or at least uh, build humanitarian pathway which means some place from which, civilians could uh, evacuate bombarded area and this uh, road is under constant sniper fire and mortars by Hamas fighters so basically it's the Hamas that killing their own citizens but of course the so-called Palestinian Ministry of Health you could hear it on the BBCs from time to time the the phrase Palestinian Ministry of Health which is basically an arm of the Hamas will publish the death toll, doesn't matter what is the number, I mean every number wins uh, and uh, will blame Israel for that. So this is the situation, it's very obvious, uh, but still uh, there is, uh, I don't know if there is hope to the, to the people that are uh, running in the street and shouting Uh, Palestine, Palestine will be free yeah and calling for a mass murder and this is amazing I mean you look at it and uh, it's ama- I'm amazed to see how low our uh, level of uh, education knowledge and logic uh, ability uh, plunged Yeah, these are, it's scary times really. Um, I think nobody, at least I certainly before the outbreak of the war would have thought that actually so much of this kind of resentment and sentiment kind of was just lying underneath the surface waiting to come out. Um, relating to Hamas taking the humanitarian aid, what's extraordinary about this, um, I don't know if you saw this, the United Nations reported that um, ambulances that had been in the south of Gaza, which had been earmarked for taking injured Palestinians out. So for kind of humanitarian aid, taking, trying to save the civilians, had been taken by Hamas fighters and were trying to smuggle Hamas fighters out of Egypt. So what's extraordinary about the US envoy to the Middle East saying that they've never recorded an instance where Hamas is taking humanitarian aid? Of course they are. Like if, if you were Hamas, if you were to imagine that, that's the obvious thing you're going to do. I mean, the, it was very famous and known and been broadcast all over the place that uh, when the fighting started, Hamas took over a storage of UNRWA and, uh, and uh, planned, I mean, took the, the supplies from there. 
Uh, there is a recorded conversation about uh, fighters of Hamas demanding from hospital managers to allocate the fuel and supply them with uh, 600 liters, 800 liters, whatever. And it's uh, common knowledge. I mean, you, people are, uh, people are under a dictatorship uh, regime. I mean, the murders and the atrocities that you saw on the 7th of October, it's not something, it's not some, something that came out of the blue. This is the common practice within themselves as well. And this is the way they take care of uh, resistance within the Gaza Strip. And this is how Hamas rose to power. After the election, the only one election that was in the West Bank, in the Gaza Strip, um, Hamas uh, people threw out from the rooftops the people of uh, Fatah, their rivals. Uh, so you don't need to be a Jew in order to be massacred over there. Well, absolutely. And part of what we saw, unfortunately, on the 7th of October was international citizens getting dragged in. The slaughter was truly indiscriminate. Um, there's there's something in the attitude of the international community in, when they're criticizing Israel, where they're, they seem to be deliberately ignoring the nature of Hamas. When they're, when they're calling for humanitarian aid to come into, um, to come into Palestine, and they're, and they're claiming that Hamas isn't going to take it, they're deliberately ignoring that Hamas is the greatest enemy of the common everyday Palestinian people. They terrorize them every single day. It's a theocratic dictatorship. Um, if, if your goal were to truly have the interests of Palestine, of average Palestinians who are caught up in their children, whatever, in mind, you would want the IDF to go in and take care of Hamas. And the thing that I, I guess I found quite extraordinary about this um, news story about um, the US envoy calling for fuel to be let in is that the head of the IDF agreed with this and that Netanyahu and the, uh, uh, was it, who was it that you said, was it began with the B? who also kept the head of the, was it the US, the Israeli Secretary of State came out against this, whoever, that they had to come out against this, showing that there's a kind of split within the Israeli government over this kind of issue. It's uh, very possible, it's possible. I mean, I know that there is uh, ongoing pressure. I know that most of the American statement started with, we support fully, but, and after the but come all kind of, uh, uh, other elements, the, but you need to fight fair, you need to fight according to the Geneva law, you, uh, the international law, whatever. So basically, Israel is following, uh, let's say, the, the most, I would say, most uh, a strict rule of engagement, even though we shouldn't, as I see it, but we do. And there is a call for uh, Gazans to leave the area of the fights and to leave the place. And of course, they've been held back by Hamas. So all of it, every death of either Israeli civilians on October 7th and Israeli soldiers and, uh, and uh, Palestinians from Gaza and children and elderly and so on are on the on the, this is the responsibility of Hamas and we should hold them responsible to it. And if the UN uh, <laughs> had 
מינימל, let's say backbone and at least seemingly moral posture, they would call to Hamas to lay down their weapon and this will solve the problem. Basically, it's very easy to solve the, the humanitarian problem here. The, the terrorists of Hamas need to surrender and uh, that's it and lay down their arms and uh, nobody in Israel want to breach into civilians compound and uh, murder citizens. Mm. So I see we've got a super chat from Bonnie for 199. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Daniel, do we have any others? Not so far. Not so far. Well, thank mm. you very much. We really do appreciate all the support that we get through the super chats. Um, so, or something else that we saw today were protests taking place outside of Netanyahu's house, calling for him to resign. Um, I don't know if you saw that, Boaz. I mean, what was interesting to me was it wasn't clear whether the protesters were coming from a perspective of he's been too weak on this, he's not being decisive enough in, in Israeli interest and wanting him to go for that reason, or whether they wanted him to go because he's too harsh. You know, they, maybe if this no, is from the... I, I, I think it's uh, because... Mainly because the, the, considera the consideration is that he is too weak. I believe this is coming from this direction. And Netanyahu had a very strong opposition uh, before. He was too busy with internal uh, clashes. And as a prime minister, the buck stopped there. I mean, he is the fully responsible for what happened. However, most of the Israelis uh, prefer to wait, it down, wait till the war ends and not and to consolidate in order to win this war and then take care of all the investigation that needed to be done. Because basically the, the neglectance, the lack of responsibility, the, the failures of the Israeli security system was uh, unprecedented and, uh, and uh, the people in Israel demand accountability. Mm. There was some talk, which I never really heard an answer to, uh, when this started about how the intelligence failure happened and the security failures. Um, there were some people who were placing at least some of the responsibility for that on reservists who had refused to who said they would refuse to attend their services because of the judicial reforms no, do you really, find did you yeah. find that convincing well basically i believe that the enemies of israel mm. waiting like a pack of wolves around us mm. look at it and they consider israel as weak mm -hmm. and uh, so they prepare to this moment they seem to to get their uh, right timing and the attack. However, we realized that this attack was not coordinated. I mean, uh, for example, the, the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago, that was another strategic surprise for Israel, uh, opened in two fronts simultaneously. Here it didn't happen in this way. Hamas breached uh, I believe that they never expect to be so successful, but still there is, uh, I saw numbers of between 2,000 to 3,000 
וולק פוויפט חמאס פייטרס דאט ברוק פרו סימולטניוסלי טו מולטיפול פלייסס and into a music festival and into uh, um, uh, villages and kibbutzim and so on. So, so the Israeli security system was at loss. Nobody expects something like that. And uh, this was the major failure of the intelligence and the, pre- and the readiness. Because we had uh, not to trust on what they mean. or what they intend to do, but what they can do. And this is basically when you deal with intelligence, you assess what is the power of your enemy, and then you're trying to understand what he's planning. But always you have to be prepared for the worst, according to what he can do. And this we didn't do. And uh, so anyway, this was uh, the, the turmoil in Israel, the civil conflict, The, the political conflict usually gives a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, a lot of hopes to our enemies. They interpret, the interpretation for this kind of political clashes within democracy, according to their view, is weakness. Because they, they, read, they know that a strong ruler just kills everybody like the Iranian and that's it, no protest. So for them, this considered as a weakness. However, the moment it's happened, and Israel called the reserve, we, re- we saw a, a, the call for reservists answered with 110%. Sure. People that not been called came in. Uh, there is, Israel grew in 3%. About 300,000 Israelis came back from abroad with uh, airlift in order to support and to enlist to their units. So this, sh- this basically showed the strength of Israel, of a country that their citizens are ready, volunteer to fight for their existence and strength. So basically, they will learn in the hard way that uh, Israel is not weak, but uh, we have to, <laughs> we have to uh, fight on the battle, on the Gazan front, uh, maybe in the northern front. There is low level of fighting that's ongoing with Hezbollah right now. And uh, we need also to fight the international uh, battle. And the media battle, because there is a huge bias, which is also difficult to explain how a serious a broadcasting services lost their basic professional skills of the five W's. And they just <laughs> actually playing as a mouthpiece for Hamas and terrorists and dictatorships and so on. Mm. You anticipated uh, one of my questions actually because it's interesting that so many people returned to Israel um, there was something else in the news about pe- people who wanted to leave who I think quite understandably maybe didn't want to fight or on that in that position so much to flee internationally there was a warning to not outwardly display any signs of their them being Israeli um, because as we saw in Russia unfortunately there, there yeah. were some people out there who would wish them harm um, and kind of off the back of that, This is kind of similar to what I asked you for, but what's the, 
the kind of public morale like in Israel, because as we're as we're seeing, the death toll of soldiers is rising. And that's, you know, that's going to be hard on people. So are people, are they angry? Are they indignant? Or are they starting to, is that starting to ebb and it's starting to get worn out? Or is, is the yeah. anger still strong? The, 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 there is a, we are resilient. Uh, there is a, a strong sense of fighting it to the end, yeah. whatever the cost, because we know that in this neighborhood, not winning decisive decisive victory uh, will cost us dearly and this is what we try to do for so many years you know the basic fallacy in objectivism is avoiding avoiding reason avoiding fact and uh, the second fallacy that i see which I may define as a new type of fallacy, I call it the conception fallacy, which means you have certain concept of what you're facing that is built upon many avoided, many facts that have been avoided, or many misconceptions. And you create something like a strawman image of what you're facing, which is not reality. And this is the, down the road, this is the danger. And this is what we faced 50 years ago in the Yom Kippur War. And we end up uh, 100 kilometers from Cairo and 40 kilometers from Damascus with the Golan uh, in our hands. And now we face it again from a new type of player and we need to learn fast how to defeat this type of, uh, of uh, terrorist organization, which is a proxy of Iran. And we need to follow the, after we'll finish the Hamas, we need to consider Hezbollah and Iran and Qatar, by the way. Qatar right now play a major role as the only leverage that there is on the Hamas leadership. This is because they playing they sitting on the fence and they sending money to to universities around the world, sport clubs around the world, and terrorist group around the world. So uh, this must be stopped. And I hope that uh, Israel and possibly the UK, France, Germany, other free countries will uh, take it till the till the till the end of eliminating this threat because it will come to your uh, doorsteps you know what you see right now is so-called protest maybe come to a violent as well no for sure and something which has been heartening and disappointing about this is that the rhetoric that we've seen from the israeli government has been very strong um Netanyahu, for whatever his faults, has been very strong and morally and condemning, obviously, Hamas and saying we're going to fight this to the end. And unfortunately, what's been disappointing has been the the predictable kind of ebb of support that you've seen from Western leaders coming out strong at the beginning and then it's ebbed away. Mm-hmm. And and just since you're in Israel, a question I've had is, do you think this will be the decisive moment? Like, do you think Israel will see this through this time and eradicate Hamas? Because the pattern in the past has been violence has broken out, ceasefires have taken place and it's continued. Do you think this this time will be the time they get they take care of Hamas or do you think not? Well, uh, I really hope so. Mm. I cannot uh, 
if you talk with the Israeli and the rank and file of the Israeli army and the commanders and the soldiers and the citizens, they want to take it till the end. They want to take it till the last uh, terrorist will not breathe or will be captured. And uh, no weapon will be left in Gaza. And uh, as the Israeli um, uh, defense minister just said, uh, Gaza will not be the same. It will not be a threat anymore. And Israel will be able to get in and out and make sure that no threat will come out of Gaza. And basically, before the, the Oslo Accord, this was the situation. Israelis drove into Gaza to buy at the market in Gaza. And Gazan could drive freely to Israel and work with Israeli employers. And uh, all this end after importing the Yasser Arafat and uh, his uh, terrorists under the Oslo Accord. So uh, we may be able to roll it back. How far this is still open question. It's very much depend on the support we'll get. Israel is a tiny country. It's small. Uh, we cannot do it alone. We need the support of the free world. And uh, the question if we will have this support or not is still open and the battle is going on, on the media, on the social media, and so on. By the way, I want to, to take this opportunity for uh, your uh, viewers and listeners and uh, let, let them know that I'm, uh, let, that I'm sharing on the chat something that we're doing you know each one of us each one of us trying to do something and this is part of the israeli let's say recruitment of everybody so what i'm trying to do with the ayn Rand center in israel and we have a special project with with a with an israeli high-tech companies and we arranging a, a resilience camp an educational camp for uh, uh, kids, uh, high school kids from Sderot, uh, Ashkelon, the south area, people that been evacuated and actually now scattered in different places for shelter. So uh, I'm sending the information about it on the chat. And if you like to pick it on and want to contribute, want to, uh, to assist, you're welcome to do that. This is the Atlas Junior project. It's one of the, it's one of the projects we involve in. Fantastic. Well, that sounds really great. I hope people are interested. Um, I think from the international perspective, I think the best thing we can do is voice moral support for Israel, because that's the greatest harm we can do is take away that support. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got a hard... Uh, sorry, we've got a hard out in two minutes, so we're probably just going to have to wrap up, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, we've got another super chat from Jeff Bannister. Thank you so much. The support's always really appreciated. Um, Daniel, do we have any announcements? Uh, we will have the ARCUK Philosophy Forum in about a minute, but that's for uh, ARCUK Platinum members only. Uh, if you still become one in like next hour, you can still join, so... And we'll be back tomorrow with uh, the daily objective uh, at 6 p.m. UK time instead of uh, 5.30 that we normally do. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Boaz. Thank we'll you very you much. All. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye.